Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmaty, brought to you by lisatarmaty.com. Well, hi, everybody. It's Lisa Tarmaty here at Pushing the Limits. Today, I have a really wonderful special guest with me, all the way from Tampa, Florida. She's an absolute superstar of a lady. She's a celebrity nutritionist, four times New York Times bestseller, fitness hall of famer, and she's also a warrior mum. And she has a very interesting story today that we're going to uh, delve into, both in her career and what she's achieved, but also uh, with um, brain injury in regards to her son, Grant, who had a hit-and-run accident. So welcome to the show, JJ. It's fantastic to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, So, JJ, I just want to start a little bit with a background, if you wouldn't mind sharing um, what you do and your your books and your work a little bit. Um, that would be fantastic. All right. I am a nutrition and fitness expert. And um, so I've got a bunch of books I've written over the years, online programs. I speak. I do TV. I had a couple. I was kind of helped start reality TV because I was on Dr. Phil's weight loss challenges for two years. It was really when that whole thing was kind of getting going. Then I had my own show on TLC called Freaky Eaters. So I've been really fortunate to just be able to work in something that I'm super passionate about, which is anything related to health and wellness. And then I also have an organization where we help other doctors and health experts get their message out to the world called Mindshare. Wow. And that is something that we definitely uh, want to delve into a little bit too. Um, So... Now, I want to go back to, you've got two sons, Bryce and Grant, mm-hmm. um, and in 2012, Grant was the victim of a hit-and-run accident. Can we share a little bit about that journey and, and what you sort of went through with him? And, um, you know, it really resonated with me, your book and your story, because uh, a lot of the same dramas that you have over there <laughs> with, the, with the system, <laughs> if you like, we have it here as well probably even worse in some respects. Um, and you had to be a real f- fighter and that therefore the title of your your book um, sort of really resonated with me as well. So can we go into that story a little bit and tell us what happened with Grant? Yeah, it's really a story I realized after the fact. Um, it's really a story about what it takes to be a caretaker. And I think that's important to underscore because it's a role all of us will have to play, right? I mean, at some point in your life, you're going to be taking care of kids, you're going to be taking care of your parents, maybe you're taking care of both at the same time, or a spouse, you know, or a sibling. So it's, it's one of those roles in life that you will probably face. And how you show up during that role can make the difference between life and death for that person. So, uh, and also, um, you know, how you show up is going to make a difference on your personal health, too. So, Grant was 16 years old. My other son was 15 years old, Bryce. And Grant went out to walk to a friend's house one night and got hit by a car. And I didn't see this. A neighbor didn't see him getting hit. He just saw him lying on the, in the street. He saw this woman get out of her car, gasp, get back in and drive off. And he then called 911 and he was airlifted to the local hospital when we got there. They told us that he had a torn aorta and it was going to rupture sometime in the next 24 hours unless it got repaired. 
but that he would never survive the airlift to the next hospital. They couldn't repair it there. He would have to, but that he wouldn't survive that. And even if he were to survive that, he would um, most likely not survive the surgery. And even if he were to survive that, he'd be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. I mean, literally they said that. I remember looking at this doctor going, he didn't, did he say that? And my 15 year old looked at the doctor and he said, well, maybe like, is there a 0.25% chance he'd make it? Because the doctor already said his aorta was going to rupture sometime in the next 24 hours. Yeah. And the doctor said, that sounds about right. And he, Bryce looked over at me and goes, that's not zero, you know? And we're like, we'll take those odds. And um, because I think any, any parent out there or anyone who loves anybody would have to agree that as long as there's a chance, even if it's the teensiest little chance, Absolutely. like you've got to go for it. You know, you've got to fight for it. I mean, the idea that I was going to let my son die here, I, there was absolutely no way I was going to do that. So we overruled this doctor, had him airlifted. He survived the airlift, went through surgery. He survived that surgery. Now, when he came out of the surgery, he had a stint in and he was, his aorta was fine, but he was in a deep coma. Uh, the neurosurgeons were like, we don't know if he'll wake up. And I remember standing in the hospital and he had 13 fractures. He was in this deep coma, multiple brain bleeds. And there were like literally Lisa, two little fingers I could hold on to. Everything else was either covered with road rash. It was bandaged. It was in cast. And I was standing there holding his little fingers and I said, Grant, you know, um, I love you so much and nothing, you know, just the beeps of the machine. He, had, he was on a respirator, he had a central line. So it was all these things being monitored. And then I said, your brother Bryce loves you so much. And I felt the littlest fingers squeezy and ha. Huh. And then I said, you know, grandma loves you so much, nothing. And I said, your girlfriend Mackenzie loves you so much. And that's when I felt this big squeeze by my hand getting picked a little bit up. And I said, you know, Grant, you're going to be 110%. Your name means warrior. I got this. I've got so many friends in the business who can help, but I need you to fight. You've got to fight. You got to hang on for me. And your name means warrior, turns out. So I said, wow. you just got to, you, you've got to fight all handle the rest. And we're going to get you to be 110%. And I just lived that 110%. I, I was so afraid to let anything else get into my brain that, that, you know, the what ifs, like, what if he doesn't wake up? What if he can't walk? I, I just, because I felt like if I thought it, it would happen. Mm -hmm. So um, I've always been one of those people who believes that you can, you can create your reality Excellent. and I just manage my mindset. I stay focused on the 110% and, you know, and there are a lot of times in there, things were not looking like they were even going to make it to like 30%, you know, <laughs> much yes. less a hundred, much less this like unrealistic number that doesn't exist. But, um, I will tell you today after being told that he would never survive an airlift or surgery, he'd be so brain damaged, he'd never wake up, he wouldn't walk, he couldn't hear, like over and over and over again. He is better than before that accident. Wow. He is. So, and, you know, it has been this thing in our life that has made all of us in the family so much better and stronger because now, you know, the, the things that would average, most people would get rattled about the average person would get upset about they don't even like they don't even 
trick, trick, trigger us at all. Like we're like, eh, no one's dying here, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure you relate, right? I mean, like, yeah. you get through something like this, you realize the stuff that people let get them upset on a regular basis it is just doesn't crap. <laughs> yeah, it's just, who, who cares, you know? <laughs> exactly. Now, and um, I mean, I've, my listeners know my story with my mum and very similar, not going to survive if she does massive brain damage. If she, you know, when she did wake up after weeks in a coma, um, she, lights on, nobody home, years and years of rehabilitation, and where our stories cross and why this is so important for me is that you never gave up. You kept your mind on the, and I exactly, I had that 110% in my head too, and I go around still saying that, and my mum's only at 90%, so I, I've still got a wee way to go. Um, but in that whole process, it's not that you don't have doubts and despair and times where you're on the ground crying, going, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? But right. it's, it's keeping, it's standing back up every time. That every time. And hey, here's the thing, Lisa. So you went for 110% and got to 90. <laughs> That's a lot better than the zero they were giving you, right? You know, like you look at it, I kept thinking, well, I'm going to go for 110%. If I get to like wherever I get to is better than the zero that they, the 0 0.25 they gave me. So, you know, you just got to keep going. And by the way, it's only been recently that he really has been getting to this 110%. Yeah. I just figured as long as he's alive, there's always something else I can do. It's something amazing I can do. So he is now better than before the accident, but now I'm like going, you know, we're just going to keep pushing. Exactly. And you've got, to, you've got to keep that focus. One of the things, the, the title of my book that's coming out is called Relentless. And that's exactly what you have to be is totally and utterly relentless. Yeah. And I know in, with my journey, I came up against a huge opposition to the way that I was wanting to rehabilitate my mum in both the resources that I would try to get hold of. Um, and in my approach, I was criticised a lot for why are you putting her through such a rigorous and difficult training regime? Why don't you just let her be comfortable, <laughs> comfortable and no, you know, just give her some cupcakes and just let her be. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> cupcakes, exactly. And and this, I mean, I'm an ultra endurance athlete. I've been a you know an athlete for my entire life, and I know. So we you know do 200, 300 kilometer races and things, and I know how to overcome when your mind is trying to stop you and yeah. know that people are capable of so much more than what we think we are. So much more. Yep. And I, and uh, what, what I have issue with, I understand that the medical professionals do not want to give you false hope, but to take away your hope, create any hope, any hope makes you have a weak action. Like you're not going to fight because you don't believe there's a, there's, there's a waste of time. You know, here's the thing. No one can take our hope away. So what we've really got to manage is, is we're, we're putting people in the wrong places. What you're going when you're going to a doctor is you're getting an opinion. You can do what you want with the opinion. That's what you're getting is an opinion. Um, you know, like the opinion of the doctor at the first hospital was the complete opposite of the opinion of the doctor at the second hospital. Why? The first hospital doctor worked in Palm Springs, California, where the average age coming into the urgent care, the trauma center was about 75. 
Oh, wow. And for a 75-year-old with a torn aorta, multiple brain bleeds, multiple fractures, this would have been it. But for a 16-year-old, it's not. And so the trauma center we got him to, which is the second trauma center, number two trauma center in the country in the U.S., they see all sorts of gang fights, people thrown off overpasses, all sorts of stuff. This was like not out of the norm, right? So you're just getting their opinion based on what they know, and they're going to give you the best opinion they can based on the information that they have. And then you get to make the decision you want out of it. I think that we're giving people power where we shouldn't be, you know? So, and yes, people thought I was absolutely crazy. Um, but then they started to get behind it as I started to tell them what, you know, what I was doing and what we were going to have, especially when they walked and said, Oh, he's never going to walk again. I go, well, huh. You know, he had a crushed heel. And I said, well, what if Kobe Bryant were in this bed? Cause I'm pretty sure that you would be doing everything possible. So that's what we're going to do. And, you know, then they told me he was in the second hospital, which was a rehab hospital. And they told me that, um, you know, there was a swimming pool and they go in there, they go, oh, he's not ready for that. And there was a gym and I would sneak into the gym with him and do stuff and they get mad at me. So <laughs> then I got to, t- I got, had a little furlough where I got to take him out for four hours. So we took him to an Olympic sized pool. We took a video of him swimming perfectly through this pool. Then we took him to the gym. Then I took a video of him doing all this workout stuff at the gym. And I said, he wants to be challenged. Absolutely. Human beings need to be challenged. They, they, you know, that's how we actually get stronger. We don't get stronger by doing a little less than what we're capable of. We get stronger by being pushed beyond what we think we're capable of. And that's what we have to do. Amen to that. That's just absolutely amazing. I mean, I've, I've had all this opposition when I was in the hospital that she would not even live for a few weeks, even when she was stabilized. Um, and that she would never, I would never be able to care for her. And like, I just, I, I was determined to take her home. Like this, you know, once they mm-hmm. said, look, she's not improving. She's never going to do anything again. You have to put her in this, you know, hospital institution. And I really fought tooth and nail to get her home and to get a little bit of support. So with caregivers in the morning for an hour and just, you know, for personal cares and some time out because she was 24 seven around the clock care and the they would not give me the resources that I need I had to really really fight and this is um, one of the important points that I've heard you make before too in interviews that I've listened to um, that you have to really advocate for your loved one you can't mm-hmm. go in and you're, you're fighting against not only the, the the accident or the aneurysm or you know the, the results of that you're fighting against the system that if you don't be a pushy, quite, you know, strong person. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky I'm like you. I don't really care if people don't like me when it comes to my mum, you know, like I would, no. I got a lot of, you know, oh, she's that pushy daughter. She's very forceful, <laughs> you know. Oh, no, she's here again. <laughs> yeah, oh, they hated me. I'm sure they hated me. Um, and, and did not believe that I could do any of this. And I actually, at one stage, I remember going and throwing my other two books at this, this doctor and saying, this is who I am and I am not putting my mum in a home and you better get used to it. And you better give me what I need. And he still wouldn't, you know. 
So then mm. I brought my brother in, who's a very big man, and we got results what we needed. <laughs> you know, you do whatever you ta- it takes to to give your loved one the best chance possible. Um, and you know, like with with you taking Grant into the gym and seeing, isn't it isn't it a beautiful feeling to actually get them out of the the hospital situation and finally into somewhere like a gym or or a swimming pool where they're surrounded with with athletes and people that are actually all about improving themselves rather than being in a rehabilitation place where mm-hmm. that's what I found that, you know, when she was surrounded by other young athletes training hard, she rose to the occasion. Right. Well, think about, you know, what we know about obesity. That's super interesting is they, you know, the studies in the U S about obesity being contagious you catch it from your friends that you will tend to weigh what your closest friends weigh, even if they live across the country. And so one of the classic things I I say when someone says, all right, well now I've gotten healthy and fit. How do I stay that way? I go find fitter friends. So, you know, Grant, when we took him, we took him out of the hospital after four and a half months earlier than they wanted us to. um, And then we had him in a rehab center for another, I think month, but then I took him out of that and brought him home. And I brought him to a training center that is the athletic training center for that area. And they are amazing what they do. They're all sorts of, you know, like rope training, balance training, power, like really cool stuff. And that's what we had him doing. And he's still now doing it to this day, like all sorts of crazy balance stuff and, um, you know, climbing and ropes and that kind of stuff that, you know, Again, wow. the average person won't do. Yeah, the much average less. healthy person won't do. <laughs> much less someone with rods in their thighs and, you know, he had a AC joint problem, all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> he's fine and he's fighting back. And did you, with a brain injury, um, did you have to teach Grant everything from scratch again? Or did he start to, like with mum... It took me 18 months to teach mum just to roll over in bed. You know, it was that she mm. couldn't push a button or she couldn't um, sit like she was completely floppy and no spatial awareness. Did Grant have those issues as well? Yeah, it's very interesting. So Grant was in a coma for a couple of weeks. And I thought, like in the movies, you know, in the movies, someone's in a coma. And then one day they wake up and they go, hi, I love you. <laughs> so... Uh, that is like shame on those movies. This does not happen this way. We, he didn't wake up from that coma overnight. It happened over time and a lot of time. And we basically got to start all over again. At first, all he did was stare off into space. He wouldn't make eye contact and he moved one arm. His only thing that wasn't in a cast, he moved one arm back and forth all day, every day. And I was like, uh Oh, you know, and then would sleep off and on. And then, um, then he started, you know, being able to make eye contact. Then he started, then one day I wasn't there at the time, which was so sad. His girlfriend came in and he said, I love you. And so he just, things started to come out, but we had to start all over again with teaching him how to brush his teeth, how to eat, how to go to the bathroom. He knew none of this, none of it. Yeah. So it was quite like, it was like raising a very big, a 16 year old baby. That's exactly, <laughs> yeah. I had a 74 year old baby and they don't yeah. bounce very well. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right. Very- it's not, uh, it's very different. 
and, and, and this is what people don't quite understand is the depth of the rehabilitation. Like every time you get something back, you realize there's another deficit that you haven't thought of. Yeah. You, you haven't come up against that problem until that one is sort of. Right. That one's solved. And then you're like, oh no, now they're going to get up and they can't, don't have any balance. Oh, now that they want to get up, now they've got to go, you know, it's like, yeah, every single thing was. Was relearning and, and retraining the mm -hmm. brain. Now you mm -hmm. were very in a very lucky situation. You had some of the world's top doctors and brain doctors like Dr. Daniel Amen, who's amazing, um, that, that supported you through this journey. Now, most people don't have such amazing friends, if you like, um, and the opportunity to get the information that you needed. Um, I want to go a little bit into the like the supplementation side of things and then get into hyperbaric because hyperbaric is something that we both did. And I know with my mum, it was absolute key uh, factor in her recovery. Can you tell us what you're a nutritionist? You're an amazing nutritionist, triple board certified. You know everything about uh, the right foods. What's wrong with the stuff that they give you in the hospital for a start? <laughs> start One of the first things Grant said was, you know, when they tried to give him hospital food was disgusting. And I was like, yay. Um, yeah, I made a point, especially at the first hospital. The second hospital had better food, but the first hospital had just the typical, it was a county hospital and it was all processed. It was horrible, honestly. It was like, ensure um and white bread and i mean just horrible stuff and he needed whole foods he needed um you know good omega-3s he needed lots of vegetables there was none uh, there's nothing there to be had and so i made a point of bringing and and it was a pain in the butt because this hospital's parking lot was under construction so i'd end up parking anywhere from a mile to two miles away every single day. And it wasn't in a great neighborhood. So sometimes this would be like six in the morning, nine at night. So it was like, I look at it now, I go, I don't know how the heck I would do this. And I would bring a cooler bag of stuff because there was nowhere to store it there. There was no fridge or freezer or anything else I could use. And so I would just bring this stuff in and I'd make him these smoothies where I'd put fish oil in and greens and load him up with supplements that he needed. Cause my gosh, when you're healing like that, he had 13 fractures and your brain is healing. You need to be, have heavy duty, nutrient dense food and supplements. Like you don't, this is when you need the most of it. And the last thing you should be doing is eating white flour and you know, bad fats and sugar like, are you kidding me? You know, we don't want to waste calories here. We got to make every single thing count. So I was getting wild salmon and bone broth and avocados. I mean, I was just loading him up with stuff. And thankfully, once he started to eat, he was a pretty good eater. But, um, you know, at first it was mainly smoothies. Yeah, a Nutribullet was my best friend. It was the only sort of thing I could get into mum because she could only exactly straw. Um, and this is really, really important that you talk about uh, fish oils and there's a whole lot of other supplements that can really help with brain health. And this is not general knowledge. This is, yeah. um, I, I, I did um, CBD oils, I did um, yeah, fish oils, uh, anything that was anti-inflammatory, turmeric and, and things like this. Um, what are some of the secret 
source things, if you like, that you gave a grant. And I know you had them on high doses of fish oil. Well, high dose fish oil was definitely the biggest one that we did. Um, they wouldn't let us do it right away. Now, here's what I would say is prior to the accident, he was doing five grams of fish oil a day. I believe that that was one of the key things that helped him get through this because it protects your brain. You never know when your brain's going to get injured, right? And if you've got that on board to begin with before it happens, you're going to be in better shape. So he had it on board to begin with. Then as soon as I could, the hospital refused to give him more than two grams. So as soon as he um, took out his feeding tube, which he spit out himself, then I started in. And so that's how I got the fish oil up because I gave the, the hospital the studies and they refused. Um, the next thing I did was make sure that he had a lot of protein on board and good amino acids because, and, and that's why something like bone broth or adding collagen, you need all of that so he can, he can heal. He had all these broken bones. He had so much healing to do and he was sarcopenic. He had been catabolic from, um, you know, yeah. being in coma and then um, not moving, and then being on a feeding tube. So I kicked his, his protein way up, and I was giving him also these really good amino acids, super um, you know, bioavailable. And then a lot of, I did vitamin D. Um, I could give him K because he was on warfarin, which um, you know, was a little, but I just gave him vitamin D. And then I gave him, um, trying to think what, curcumin, acetylcarnitine, a ton of brain nutrients. Like I just threw the brain nutrient book at him. At the time, CBD wasn't out yet. So it wasn't a thing. Otherwise, I would absolutely do that. I gave him um, progesterone and topical progesterone. And I don't know, because the studies, I, I did it based on Donald, St Donald Stein's work out of Emory University yeah. on how they saw that reduced brain inflammation. I don't know if it did or not, but here's the thing. Like, you know, people ask what worked? And I go, I don't know, because I did everything I possibly could. Yeah. And I figured I, I did things based on what was the pathway, how would it work, and what's the risk versus what's the reward. Yeah. The risks were so low on progesterone versus the potential reward. You know, same with like fish oil. There's there's no risk there. The reward's way bigger. So I that's how I just started dosing everything as risk versus reward. When we got him out of the hospital, then I could start hyperbaric. We did multiple rounds of stem cells. Um, I think five rounds of of stem cells. We started doing stem cells straight into his spine. Wow, that's and then um, we did a lot of neurofeedback. Um, and a lot of exercise, a lot of brain, like to me, if you had to pick one thing that is the most underutilized and has the biggest impact, it's exercise. It raises something called BDNF alpha. It's going to help you create, you know, create a new brain, so to speak. So right. super well, important. Topic fact that, yeah, this is, this is really important. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. One, one other thing we did, obviously first in the hospital was, to, um, and then I rotated him on this a couple times. Obviously, you know, sugar and gluten are gone, but we um, had him on a ketogenic diet because when you have a brain injury, your brain can't get glucose in, but it can use ketones for fuel. So, and you can use, um, you can use exogenous ketones if you have an issue not being able to do that where you're at, like based on what they're feeding. So there's other ways to do it, but that's what we did. 
Yeah, and those are all really important things. So exogenous ketones you can get in things like MCT oils. and. Yep. Oh, and MCT oil. Yes, we use that. Yep. And coffee. Um, you know, coffee has helped them a lot too. So coffee, MCT oil, a lot of healthy fats, a lot of fish, um, doesn't really eat sugar, doesn't eat gluten. And, and all these things. This is a, um, one of the things that I've, you know, because I get asked a lot too, what was the one thing that you did? And it, it's, <laughs> a multi, it's a multifaceted approach. There's no, there's no silver bullet. Um, I mean, but I, there is one, Lisa, there is one silver bullet. And I think this is the most important part of this story is the most important thing that you did was to make this decision that you were going to do everything you possibly could to help her yeah. and to be relentless and to do what it takes. And that's the decision I made that night in the hospital. And I think the important takeaway is when you make that decision, there's the most important thing that you have in your arsenal in order to pull that off is you. And in order for you to help your mom come back, the thing you have to do before all else is make sure that you, you put yourself and your health first, that when you think about caretaking, you're the first person you take care of because you cannot help someone else unless you are like at the top of your game. And this is a tremendous amount of stress. And I find with so many people, they just stop taking care of themselves. Yep. So super duper important when you look at this to take care of yourself first, never feel guilty about it. It's actually selfless to do it, not selfish, because then you can really show up like you need to. That is, and that's something I probably didn't do too well for the first couple of years and ended up quite sick myself. And, and you know, that was its own journey. Mm -hmm. But that's a really important point because when you, you, you're, you're pouring and you're giving all the time every day, all day. Um, you know, I still work with my mum seven hours a day, even though like now she's driving the car and got her full driver's license and walking and, and doing everything again. I'm still like you, like I want that 110%. I'm not Do happy. Do you have awareness at this point of what she went through and how far she's come? She has no recollection of the first nine, 10 months. And so she can't believe and I, you know, I show her the videos and the little, you know, photos and stories that we've got. And she's just like, nah, that's, that's, you know, I, I can't remember any of that. I know I was like, you're very lucky you don't remember mum because it was horrific. Yeah. And it's really horrific to look at the, in the eyes of your loved one and they don't know who you are and they don't know what's happening to them. And then to actually see them come back and to be like fully, like her whole personality is the same. She's an intelligent woman again. Um, you know, it's just so, so wonderful. I remember the first time my mum actually rang me on the phone after, I don't know, a year and a half or something. And I was just crying my eyes out because she'd worked out how to use the phone, you know, and she could talk, yeah. you know, and just mm -hmm. little things like that. You just know, oh, this is working and she's coming back. And the, the biggest thing I found too was that on the day-to-day -day grind, because it is a grind, it's a day-to-day battle of training and um that you, you don't see the progress often for months at a time, you'll see nothing happening. And things are yeah. happening at a cellular level, but you don't see them. And this is where most people give up in that time when you're in a plateau. And if you can push through that, then you can look back and all of a sudden you'll have another, you know, another little jump in your abilities and you'd get something back. And you'd look back at how far you'd come. But when you're measuring it on a day-to-day -day basis, 
you're not actually well, we would never you know i say this to grant now because he's made some tremendous strides and he doesn't see it i go because grant you don't go out and look at the grass every day and go wow look how much the grass grew from today to yet. i go but if you went out and looked at the grass after not cutting it for two weeks you'll look at the grass holy moly so i go you cannot you're gonna have to take my word for it and people who are like seeing you once a week or once a month you know you, you're never going to see this ever yeah. and that's really how life is like you know everyone wants to have that success they see the person with the best-selling book or you know win the race and they think that that just happened and they don't see the grind and so what to me just paralleling life life is a grind and it's the little consistencies every single day that create what we see like people look at grant i'm sure they look at your mom and they go it's a miracle i go it was yes. it's a daily flipping grind <laughs> it's, yeah it's not a miracle it's freaking hard work <laughs> that's yeah. what it is um and and this is something that fascinated me with your story too because okay i'm not as, as amazingly successful as you are and and um but you had to continue your career you keep writing your books i remember you saying you know sitting on the side of your son's bed and trying to get your your, your book out which was June mm -hmm. at that very same time sort of thing and going, well, I, I remember a sweet woman wrote in, posted on my Facebook page and she goes, don't worry about your job. It will be waiting for you. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, um, no, actually it won't. I, you know, actually the New York publishers, that will be that, you know, it's like, I have a, I have a book, I have everything invested in it. If it doesn't go, I will not get another book deal and I'll be bankrupt and then I will not be able to take care of my son. So, you know, I don't have a job waiting for me. I run my own business. If I'm not there, it's not happening. And so there wasn't that option. There just was that, that realization that if I want my son to be 110%, I'm going to need to be even more successful yeah. because this is not free, you know, and a lot of this stuff that you do like hyperbaric, insurance never covered that stem cells insurance never covered that you know so it's like so many of the things that I was doing insurance just didn't cover you know we had um, he had heavy metal poisoning from some of the stuff and insurance didn't cover that I mean just thing after thing after thing right yeah. so it's you know you just yeah you just do what you have to do and it's amazing what we have a capacity to do you we know <laughs> Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, I think for so many people, they're not where they want to be in life because they make success optional. And it wasn't optional here, right? I mean, in order for me to do what I needed to do for my son, success was no longer an option. It was required in order for me to have what I needed to be able to take him, get him what he needed. And so that was that. Yeah. And you had to stay absolute this is where the mindset stuff really, really kicks in. Mm -hmm. And I think because, you know, um, we both, uh, you know, run our own companies and you, you have a hugely successful empire now, but it's the culmination and years and years and years of work. Um, and if you drop the ball for five minutes when you run your own company, that can be the yeah. end of it. You know, it's that fickle, isn't it? It's that, um, difficult to coordinate all this stuff. So you have to, I would have to work with mum all day and then I would come home at eight o'clock at night and work till one in the morning. And this is where I burnt out, of course, working on my businesses and then, you know, wake up at 
six in the morning and repeat, rinse and repeat for day in, day out, seven days a week for the last, you know, four years nearly. Um, and prior to that, it wasn't exactly uh, not working either, you know, like you were still working like mad. And it costs a lot of money to rehabilitate someone. I mean, we, we didn't have a hyperbaric uh, clinic over here at all. So I had to go oh, to a commercial dive company and beg them to be able to use their, uh, their chambers. Um, and then I got access for a little while and then it had to be taken off on a contract. So I had to mortgage the house and buy a hyperbaric chamber, a mild one. Um, and then I actually opened up a clinic because I was such a success. <laughs> of course you did, because you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I wanted people to have access to this clinic. I've sold that on now, so someone else is running it, but people have access to it. And hyperbaric is, a, is one of the key things that I just do not understand why it's not in every hospital in every country of the world, why this is not offered for so many things. It's because there's no lemon drug money behind it. Um, and this is just tragic for so many people that could be helped by this amazing therapy if they would ha take it, you know, have enough treatments. So there's a lot of things wrong with the system, not only in America, but in New Zealand. So what would be your advice to people if they're facing something like a brain injury um, or anything in the hospital, if they've got a loved one, um, how do, you know, how do people, I mean, we have access to the internet. We have resources we we know how to research we know how to you know take action a lot of people uh listen to the doctors other experts and just leave it all up to them that really isn't going to work is it so the doctors at the hospital saved my son's life and literally put him back together again and i think what we do wrong here is that we they they're amazing at trauma and at that piece of it what they weren't and they told me they go this is not our part we don't do the rehab we don't do this piece they are in the urgent emergent here like these bones are broken the aorta's rupture like what do we need to do and so just make sure that you're like for some reason we think of say a um emergency room doctor is not where I would absolutely go if my son broke his leg is not the person I would go to if my son's moods were unstable or if he, you know, didn't have the energy he needed to have. Like we're going, to, we're assuming that they do everything. And when you really look at it, that is this trauma care, you know, and there's trauma care and then there's disease care and then there's health care or wellness care and they're all different things but yet we go to, to doctors expecting like expecting them to have all answers which doesn't make any sense you'd never go to a gynecologist with a tooth problem right <laughs> you know i mean it just you wouldn't go to your hairstylist for a manicure like let's let's put people ask the right things of the right people because in their zone of genius like it's amazing i mean my son wouldn't be here except for some of these amazing doctors at Harbor UCLA yeah. and at Children's Hospital LA, you know, I mean, they were just incredible. But then we expect them to all of a sudden change gears and do a part of medicine that's not their part. And I'd argue that healthcare really, you know, the wellness side of it probably isn't, that's not where they should even, that's not their part. Their parts, trauma and disease, right? Those are different. So um, I think the first part of all of this, though, is just making that decision that 
you're going to be an advocate for your, your, your loved one. And I know in the hospital, they were like, oh my gosh, because I'd be there every morning when the grand rounds came through and I was doing my research and I was pulling in my expert opinions and I was getting help and I was, and I was walking through it and I wanted to understand it and I have every right to do that, you know? And, and guess what? We have the right to ask for more information, to question things, to bring in other ideas. We can do that. They don't you know? really like it though. So we Yeah, well, you know what? If someone I actually had I had amazing relationships with most of them. I've I, you know, one woman who was a bit snotty. Um, but for the most part, they actually were pretty cool about all the stuff. And I finally at Children's Hospital in LA, the meetings, which would have all the doctors and therapists, had me too. I go, you know. I see, I know things you guys will never know because you are not the mom. Like, so I got into all the meetings and we all helped guide the care because, you know, and it was very, very different. So I think it's really coming in from a spirit of teamwork and how can we work together? If I've got a doctor who doesn't want to work with any of the other doctors, that is not going to be my doctor. Just like, like right now, I just moved to Tampa and we're remodeling the house. And if I'm, you know, we have an architect, well, if the, if the, um, person who's going to do the construction doesn't want to work with the architect. We don't have a, we don't have anything going on. Like they're not going to work together. Right. Yeah, yeah. So with doctors, Like they all have to, to work together. And this is just expectations and don't let someone intimidate you. You're the customer. Yes. You, yeah, exactly. Don't right. Be, you don't know, intimidated by the, you know, I think we, we put doctors on a pedestal sometimes, which I mean, they're amazing, you know, intellectual, uh, incredible people but they don't always know every answer there is. And just because you don't have a doctor, it doesn't mean that you haven't been able to research stuff and find the best doctors that can help you. And you've also got a brain in your head and you, and you're sitting there 24 seven or, you know, your family is around the clock with that person. They can yeah. see the changes where a doctor only has five minutes to spend with you before they move on to the next right. one. Quite often we can see, give them valuable. I had a son with a psych disorder with a brain injury. Yeah. And so I was like going, you know, I can tell you what's new and what's old and where we like, they would never have been able to tell any of that stuff and what he'd been on before and what worked and what didn't work and where we need to go from here. And I mean, it, it was a big learning curve and I could spot when things were starting to go sideways with him. Like I could see it right in the middle of his forehead. They could not see it. I go right now, you know? So, cause we had to medicate him enough to keep him calm and stable, but not so much his brain wouldn't heal. So, I mean, there's, there's just a lot that can happen when everyone comes as a team and, you know, and comes from what I, what is an improv called the yes. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, instead of the yes, but philosophies. Yeah. So, and that's, what I found is for the most part, they all worked in the yes and, especially when I got to Children's Hospital LA. They were very collaborative. They took a team approach. Everyone from the nurses to the therapists to the docs all had, you know, important things to say and it mattered. Oh, and it's amazing that so, so Grant is now back into life and, and loving life again and fully well. And like you, uh, let's talk a little bit about your Mindshare Summit and your, you know, the work that you do, because I want people to, you know, for, that are listening to this to follow what you do, to um, read your books, to uh, hop online and, and learn all about you. So JJ, tell us a little bit about your Mindshare stuff and what you're into at the moment and where you're going with your career. Uh, well, um, 
My career, I've probably got two more books that I'm going to write in the health space. Wow. Um, one much more on how a care, a kind of a caretaker's guide to surviving and thriving. Um, because that's what really came out of all this with warrior mom is that this really is like, we're all caretakers. And then, um, one about really how, to, how diets do work. We're just using them wrong and how to, how to navigate your health. Cause we don't, you know, we don't change our health. We, we haven't been feeling rotten and being sick for 10 years. And now we're going to change it in 10 days. You know, it's like takes, it's a process and what we can accomplish in anything over a year is amazing, but we all try to do it in a week and then beat ourselves up. <laughs> so working on those two things, um, but my real passion now lies in the fact that I have been fortunate over the years to know so many amazing practitioners and doctors. And so I've really devoted my life to helping them identify their messages and their purpose and get that out to the world and then find other people to collaborate with. So that's what Mindshare Summit is, is bringing healthcare people, health experts, doctors, health entrepreneurs together so they can share ideas, support each other, um, collaborate, not feel alone like so many entrepreneurs do. Yeah. And that's really kind of my bigger, bigger mission now is how do I help people have better resources. When I was in the hospital with Grant, I had amazing resources. And, you know, now that the internet's out there, you don't have to be able to send Dr. Daniel Amen a text message. You can now get to this information. And that's, that's what I want to see out there is more easy access to information so that when these things happen, you can just plug it in and find out. And, you know, a biggest threat we have to all of that right now is, is, Google and these search engines trying to dictate what you should be able to locate and find. So we're also working on that piece too. Wow. Try to make sure that, you know, this information stays open to all and it's not censored, which is so obscene. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Now how do we get involved in that? Can we get involved with that? You know, from New Zealand, because I mean, I'm very passionate too about sharing this knowledge. And this is one of the reasons why I've got this book coming out um, is because I want people to have the tools that I didn't have when I went into this situation. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I got access to it via the internet. Um, you know, is there ways that we can be involved with that from New Zealand? Um, which one? The, which, well, the mind which stuff or, you know, Mindshare is, is if you are a health expert, doctor, entrepreneur, yes. Mindsharecollaborative.com gives you a place to join. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a membership. And then within that, we're working on a task force for the rest of this. Cause you know, it's like the whole thing is how do you create information that everyone has access to so that money isn't, isn't the defining line as to whether you can get healthy or not. Yeah. And you know, the internet should be the great equalizer. It shouldn't be all of a sudden you find out that these bigger companies have grand schemes because they own pharmaceutical companies mm -hmm. and now they're going to keep the information from you. Like it just, it just is oh, disgusting really. Yes, it's evil. It's evil. But I think it's, it sounds like it's going to get shut down. If not, you know, there's other options out there. That's hopefully what we're, we'll get through here with this group. And with the books and so on. Um, so, <laughs> JJ, before, just as we wrap up, is there any messages that you want to get across that we've, we've covered a lot of ground today? 
I know that you've worked, oh, I did want to mention the Broken Brain series, which I've mm. bought and, and devoured. Um, the, the work that those doctors and, and professionals are, are um, doing, that's been a really important thing. I think that's a huge resource. If I'd had that four years ago, it would have been brilliant, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. But Mark Hyman and Drew Purrett have put together has been amazing. Mark's been a longtime friend for like 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, you know, he's, he's just doing incredible things. Anyone with any kind of brain stuff going on, broken brain, is just incredible resource source for you know loads of interviews etc and then drew continues with his broken brain podcast so there's that yeah, too yeah. Um, i want to get on drew's podcast maybe you can put in a good or on your mm-hmm. podcast for that that matter with share this story as well yeah you have to be in person you must be in la to do oh. drew's yeah so there's that um <laughs> but there's I mean, the point is there's a lot of resources i think the most important thing is that first, you know, when you look at what happens in life, it, it isn't like, uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say that you um, want to have a new sofa in your living room. I'll use something as mundane as that. The first thing you have to do is envision that you want a sofa in your living room. Then you go out and find the sofa. You don't like all of a sudden, you know, a sofa pops in and then you envision it. It always happens in your mind's eye first, right? Yep. So same with this. If, if when I was facing the situation with Grant, the first thing was in my mind's eye. I saw him at 110%. I saw him getting through this. Now, anywhere along the line, something could have happened. He, he nearly died multiple times. But I knew that I was doing everything humanly possible and beyond that to help him get there. And that's what, you know, that's what I could do. I could manage my mindset and do everything possible on my, on my end to do that. And I think that's really important is we create it first in our mind. Thoughts create. It's very powerful. It's amazing what we can do. So manage your mindset because it's the first thing that, that you have control over that and commit and make a decision into the situation. And always push past what you think is possible, which was why I said 110%, you know, versus, oh, I just want Grant to be alive. Grant just being alive could have been Grant in a wheelchair, um, unable to talk or see or hear or anything. So, you know, go for it, go big for it, and then go for the resources to make it happen. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to wrap it up, JJ. Thank you so much for being such a warrior, for being such a fantastic mum and being such a, uh, an amazing role model for other people going through these, these sorts of journeys. Um, um, thanks for all the work you do in this area with Broken Brain, with, with all the books that you have out, um, with the nutrition stuff that you do. Where can people find you online and buy your books and, and learn more about JJ? Pretty easy. JJ Virgin. <laughs> 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 there it is jjvirgin.com fantastic jj thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it um and i wish your son grant uh, and bryce of course uh, all the best in the future and it'd be amazing to see what they do with their with and your mom too she's got a she's super lucky to have you as a daughter huh she's a beautiful mom i'll send you a book when it comes out and um thank you yeah it's it's very special stories both of these and these stories are really important to share because it gives other people hope and the biggest piece of the puzzle we've heard today is your mindset and that you never ever give up and that you throw everything in 
to the pot. You you can't exactly. control the universe, but you can control what you do. And I think that was the biggest takeaway from today. Yeah. JJ, very much for time today. Thank you. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.